Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. you guys did that um that i copped out because um, oh gosh and i have bigger issues that i really need therapy on and if we didn't have it recorded i would have gone there so that is full i know but she should feel Thank bad you. though this isn't it this is this this is bad i'm having problems with this too it better be am i hey this is writing class radio and i'm allison langer i'm andrea askowitz Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. You'll hear true personal stories from the students in our class and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm the teacher of the class. And I'm a student in the class. No. I tell you. Mine is the worst ever, but we have to hear it. I can go, too. I can volunteer if we don't want to. Yeah, I can volunteer. (laughs) She wants to volunteer to not go. No, you must go. Get near the mic and go. Recently, I led a workshop with four friends because I thought writing could help us figure out our shit. This is what I do at writing retreats. This retreat was different because the trip was not about writing. It was about sharing our lives with friends, women we trust. So when I announced the prompt, my best friend was totally resistant. But she did the exercise. When it was time for feedback, she said, I don't want any comments on my writing. Her writing was good, but I got it. She wasn't writing to become a better writer. She was writing because I made her. She felt vulnerable and did not want her writing criticized. After the trip, she called and said that the writing exercise got her thinking a lot about who she is and why she is the way she is. And I thought, this would be an interesting exercise to do with our class. So Allison wanted to turn our class upside down, and that totally scared me. On a personal level, I was afraid to air my shit because I thought this would be more like a therapy session. I think the boundary we set up in class where we're not allowed to talk about someone's life allows me to write more freely. I know I won't be judged on my life, but on my writing. Are you kidding me? Bullshit. Everyone gives life advice in class. What I don't like is the narrator is not allowed to speak, and that bugs the shit out of me. I want to explain what I meant, and I want help writing whatever it is better. On today's episode, I make the rules, because for once, I'm in charge. I'm allowing the students to comment on the narrator's life, and I'm allowing the narrator to defend herself. So I gave the prompt good enough, and here's what we got. Liz Mesa is up first. Okay, am I good? Mm Mm-hmm. Forget about being good enough. I want to be in a place where I feel like I'm just enough. It starts in childhood. I started school in the U.S. at the age of six. I had to learn the language. I spoke it with an accent. I was very shy and very tall. The other kids avoided playing with me. In middle school, I allowed my mom to pick out my clothes. She dressed me in baggy jeans, baggy shirts. She didn't provide a training bra. My hair was really oily. My skin was covered in acne. My glasses were the wrong style for my face. I wasn't allowed to shave or wear deodorant. I think my mom still saw me as a child. And it was really rough. All the girls ran laps around me. The boys didn't look at me. I became more withdrawn. Praying to be ignored every day rather than to be made fun of. 
High school brought about a group of people who listened to punk music and dressed in the fashions offered by Hot Topic. I began wearing bell bottoms and ironic t-shirts. I wore too much eyeliner and black lipstick. I got black rim glasses and black converse. My hygiene improved when I demanded that my mom get me the right products. A push-up bra saved my life. We were part of the school misfits. It's seedy underbelly. We drank and smoked weed before and after school. Most girls still didn't talk to me and none of the boys looked at me. I was very tall and very shy, but at least they kept me around. It wasn't until my senior year that I developed a plan. I had to change. This was not who I wanted to continue being. No one saw me as I saw myself. I thought my insides were great, but my, but my outside needed a lot of work. I started dressing at Abercrombie and Fitch. Mini skirts, tank tops with Hawaiian prints on them, puka shell necklaces. I dyed blonde strips into my hair. I discovered the power of natural looking makeup. I begged my dad for a car. He got me a shiny new BMW. That summer after high school, I was reborn. I was loud and confident. I could outdrink any of the boys and still hold it together. In fact, I kissed all those boys, maybe 20 of them, maybe a little more. I made artsy friends. This was 2005. Winwood was only a dream. We partied in the actual warehouses before they became what they are today. White Room, The Vagabond, Spider Pussy, PS14. Dancing, drinking, kissing until the place closed down. Those were the nights that made us infinite. I entered my 20s high, high on this life, on this persona I managed to create. I was a skinny, rich, artsy girl who was about to turn 21. I think that's when I peaked. That's when I reached that place of enough for that time. I met someone. Busto. Someone who could have forever been out of my league, now accessible. He'd had his own hang-ups. He built his own new shiny self. Maybe that's what happened. We were both competing to see who was better than the other. My 20s were the happiest times, really. I'd like to forget everything before then. How does this world take a little girl and break her? Just look at all the broken little girls around us. How will we ever be good enough if being just enough is the biggest challenge? So it sounds like she was getting to a point where she felt pretty good. And then she's, you know, with these guys and she gets this guy Busto who is like out of her league. And then all of a sudden everything changed. Was it him? Was it her parents? Was it other friends? What was it? And if that's persisting, does she see that continue in her life today? I, I went in knowing who I was. I was very sure about myself. Believe me, as, as, as sure as a six-year-old could be. And at home, you know, I had a great loving childhood and my family loved me and praised me. And then I went into this place and I, you know, the culture shock was really bad. The language, the accent, kids will make fun of anything. Um, my mom's an immigrant. She didn't know in Cuba, you didn't shave, you didn't wear deodorant. Those aren't the priorities when you don't have food, you know, it was a communist country. So she didn't think that a six year old, 10 year old child here needed all these, you know, I, and it, it wasn't a priority. She never thought about that. And I didn't talk to her. I felt ashamed. I didn't want to say, hey mom, I'm getting bullied. My parents were struggling to work and they'd get home really tired and I didn't want to put that on them. started to think, okay, everyone
everyone's being mean to me because I'm not shaving my legs because so you sort of put it in those terms. I'm not saying that you were wrong, but that's so you're but that was your guess. My guess is that if I'm not doing if I'm not opening my mouth, it can't be about what's on the inside. Right. People are being mean to me by what they're seeing on the outside. Right. right. So it become it became all about body image. Yeah. I wonder if you're always and I've always wondered this, if you are always inside that person you were at your worst self. You know, like, you've grown, you're smart, you're, like, you're accomplished, like, all these great things, but you, are you still that person you were in high school? No, no. she's the six-year-old. She's the smart, mm -hmm. sassy six-year-old who's, like, wait a second, I am this awesome person inside. What the fuck? Why am I being bullied? Yeah, high school doesn't the, hurt me anymore. Wait, wait. I think it does, though. Because you are always going to be the six-year-old because we are who we are. And I think that what you did was you experimented with getting thin and beautiful and mm -hmm. fitting into society. And that didn't fucking work either. Then you were with this guy who was abusive. You were abusive. I mean, I mean, I feel like the Liz Mess is smart enough to know that that is fucking bullshit. It and was. maybe... And maybe the Liz Mesa now, consciously or unconsciously, was like, "Fuck it, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bust my ass to be 130 pounds at five. How tall are you? Eleven. Five eleven. Because you know better. You know that you're that beautiful six-year-old inside. And if people can't see it, fuck it, they're idiots." Louis gone back to school. I got left behind. There's a time when you can be cool, and a time when you gotta be kind. But this, this narrator, Liz, is very unhappy in her stories with her weight gain. Now yeah. she is. Yeah. Exactly. So, because she lives in this world still. The world but, is not accommodating to fat people. The no, world is not. not accommodating at so all So what to do we do weight. about that? How, in her writing, how can we see change? Is she going to realize this about herself? Is there going to be any change? It can, it's it's got to be an emotional change. And I think she's getting there because I think she's understanding her path to this weight. Definitely. I think I can start working on my body now. I'm just, that's a question. Why does your body need work? I mean, maybe the obvious answer is because society condemns me at this body and I don't want society to be mean to me, but. Because I want to be seen for who I am. Okay. I want to be seen like I see myself. Next up is our teacher, Andrea Askwitz, answering the prompt, am I good enough? Am I good enough is so specifically a woman's question. Although I am sure a few men and good men ask it. Black men probably ask it. Maybe white men ask it too. But I don't know a single woman who hasn't asked herself this question. Three years ago, I finished my second memoir. Three years ago, I had already been working on the book six years. I sent it to my agent. She took three or four months to get back to me. She liked it. She loves my voice, thinks I'm funny. But there was something missing in my book for her. It wasn't enough. And maybe she was right. I'm already programmed to believe I'm not enough. So I took six more months working on the book. I sent it back, and this time, my agent came back to me with this. Maybe the book is enough, but you're not. You're not famous enough. This is a typical writer's problem, or at least we writers think it is. She told me to spend the summer building a Twitter following. I got it. Who would I sell my book to? 
So I set out to get famous on Twitter. What I thought was so funny then was that my book is about wanting attention. I want my dad's attention, my wife's attention. Shit, I want the world's attention. So I named the book No One Knows I'm Famous and spent three months getting famous on Twitter. You can follow me at Andrea Askowitz. Somehow three years slip by and No One Knows I'm Famous is still buried on my computer. I broke up with my agent. I'm scared now. I'm really not sure if the book is enough, if I'm enough. I've gotten nine agent rejections in the last three months. I made a list. In my head, it was 40 rejections. So when I created the list, I felt positive for a second. Oh, only nine. There are millions of agents out there. Or maybe I have to move on, write something new. build a platform. What does that look like? This is Virginia Laura, one of our producers. Publish things online, like publish elsewhere. A lot of people heed that advice in different ways. They build YouTube channels, they create um, podcasts. When you're an author, like, you just want to write. You don't want to promote yourself. Here was my first tweet. It used to be you sold art to get famous. Now you get famous to sell art. Oh boy, that's the professional, Everything. like the professional yeah. literary people, they tell you to fuck that shit. Just fuck it. Don't even worry about it. Just write, write, write. I do think this is the way to approach writing. Just write because you have a story to tell and not worry about who's reading it. It felt really good to explain how hard it's been to get the book published and to have people on my side. I felt so supported and understood. And then the session took a turn. Why haven't you set it aside and worked on another book at the same time? What do you think that is? Um, uh, because I put all of my energy, all of my love and devotion into this book. Like this is like I, I'm putting everything into it. Why is it important to get it published? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, because that's what I do. That's what she does. Yeah. yeah. That's what which is what? what? That's what she Wait, what? Which is what? I am a storyteller. I'm a writer. But you can, that, that's already true, even that's if true. the book isn't published. That's true. The group wasn't satisfied with my answer. They wanted to know if I was in it for the money. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is funny. <laughs> or the validation. Why I care about getting published is a question in my book, actually. So I've done a lot of thinking about why publishing matters to me. And if I were in it for the money, I'd gone straight to Wall Street. I do want validation. It would be a lie to say I didn't care what people think. I'm a writer. I've dedicated my life to writing. I've made it my identity. I help other people get their stories published. I'm the teacher of this class, the creator of this podcast about writing. Bottom line, if I can't get this book published, I'm going to feel like a loser. with a brand new project that like makes you excited to get up in the morning. Here's what's so funny. 
What happened after the session is the complete opposite of the advice from Liz Mesa. I doubled down. I held on tighter. The thought of shelving it or letting it go was not okay. So I looked at all my books and I was like, I know that author. I know that author. And I wrote them down. And then I emailed them and I was like, hey, remember me? Will you introduce me to your agent? Then I wrote a new query letter. So far, I've gotten one rejection. That's that good. New effort. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> How many yeah. did you send? Um, I probably sent about seven. Okay. Good odds. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Poor thing. Don't give up. You're good enough. Thank you. Last up is Allison reading her response to good enough. All right, I'm sure it started with my mom. I never felt good enough for her when I was a kid. I fell off my bike a few days before my eighth birthday. Every picture is of me and my friends at the Crandon Park Zoo and my giant bandage under my chin. Too bad all the pictures have your bandage. If only you could have fallen a few days after the party. When I was in high school, I wanted to buy a new dress to wear to my senior prom, but my selections were not her selections. So she made me wear her purple and red homemade getup. My grades were not as good as my brother's. My friends were not the type she would have chosen for me. My mom has always managed to make my B's in English good, but not good enough. She went back to school when I, was, when I left for University of Georgia. She got all A's during her master's in public health and nutrition and a PhD in sociology. She was at the top of her class. In anticipation of coming home for spring break, I went on a jello diet or bulimia diet. Gaining the freshman 15 was definitely not good enough for my mom. When we'd fight, she'd say, you're just angry because you're fat. Fat? I'm 5'4 and have always fluctuated between 118 and 125. 125 is not considered fat by normal standards, but it is for my mom, and it is for me. When I'm 120, I'm feeling good enough to date. When I'm 121, I'm not. What will he think? Will he like me? Will he think I have no self-control? My mom is also 5'4". She's 75 years old, and when she comes to visit, borrows my clothes. Look, she says, coming out of my closet with my size 4 linen pants. We're the same size. I don't want to compete with my mom. I've never wanted to compete with my mom. I'm happy she's fit and healthy. This body image shit is just a small portion of my not good enough mindset. I have trouble thinking that even though I work hard, I'm working hard enough. That I am good, a good mom, but compared to other moms, those PTA moms, I'm not good enough. A window installer was over last week. My kids wanted hot dogs and beans for dinner. I made it, but told him I usually make them real food, like broccoli and brown rice and a healthy protein. The guy shook his head and said, my kids love hot dogs too. I see Allison, and you would never think these problems are running inside her head because she's probably like your white ideal as a person of color. She's that, that first she's semester like, in class, you know, and I went downstairs and I'm like, she just told me to shush, and I am a strong, independent woman, and I won't take that from her. Like I, did, I just liked Allison and her blonde hair and her skinny body and her pants and her, you know, and her traveling with her rich friends. And I'm like, you can never believe that Allison's like just as fucked up as we are on the inside because she's so. 
the Allison Langer of a person has this very attractive, I don't give a shit vibe. At, at the it, beginning, which, it's intimidating for a fat person of color. It's very, she's very, it's very intimidating, intimidating. for a queer woman. It's very intimidating. Okay, she's an intimidating person for a fat person of color. So she's not who we want to be around, you know? And then she gets you with that, that heart. And but that, then like, she's a real person. She's a real person. And that's why I love these classes. She's, there's a real person underneath this. I have a comment about the writing. Can I make it? <laughs> this is Vicki Simon, a student in the class. So, so I've heard other pieces from you about your mother. And sometimes they come off a little whiny. And mm. this piece does not. You you just hit the examples to show us that there's something very off about this relationship. And when she's 121, she can't date. When she's 120, she's okay. I'm like, one pound? She probably sees it as 100, which is amazing. Right. How distorted we can be about our own self. I know, I'm sick! I know I make a horrible first impression. It's probably why I ask personal questions and tell very intimate stories on a podcast. I want people to know me and understand me because I know that my exterior is weird. Maybe we are all distorted about ourselves. Do we ever think we're enough? Pretty enough? Published enough? Thin enough? Okay, so we tried the experiment. We gave life advice and let the narrator speak. Two things we try never to do in class, and I loved it. I felt like a discussion helped my writing. I was able to explain what I meant and then hear how to say things more clearly. Plus, I got to have the final word. That never happens in class. But I do see how everyone talking about everyone's life, babbling back and forth, could become a total shit show complete chaos because let's face it nobody really wants advice all right thank you for listening if you love our podcast rate us on apple podcast and talk us up to your friends don't let them off the hook until they listen if you're feeling generous we would love your support to keep this podcast going so we feel like we're enough there's a button on our website. If you have a business or a startup, let me help you tell that story. I'll come to your office and teach all your employees how to better articulate why they do what they do. Because stories sell. And Allison is for hire. She will come to your retreat and help guests write through their shit just like we did so they can live free. Writing in Class Radio is produced by Misha Morell, Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Ari Herstand. Additional music by Jay Arathna, Wal Matthews, Ryan Little, Roger Plexico, Tammy Katz, Lake South, Nino Polar, Audiobanger, Smile, and our own Misha Morell. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is sponsored by Gold Valley Consulting. GoldValleyConsulting.com. If you need help with your business, give Christina Baldor a call. There's more writing class on our website, Twitter, and Facebook. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. 
Also, you can write along with our community by posting on our daily prompt page or record what you wrote on the voice memo of your cell phone and email it to us at info at writingclassradio.com. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.